Welcome back to the All Personal Podcast, where we turn the good old saying, nothing personal, just business, upside down, and prove how, in fact, it's all personal, nothing is just business. Because it's all either intrapersonal, how we manage ourselves, or interpersonal, how we manage our relationships with others, both at home and at work. It's all about our personal skills muscles. And in this episode, I'm speaking with Naftali Hoff, president of Impactful Coaching and Consulting. He is an accomplished executive coach, organizational consultant, and sought-after trainer and lecturer. Naftali earned his doctorate in human and organizational psychology, which analyzes successful individual or organizational change and development. His personal experience in the leadership field allows him to understand leaders' needs and craft solutions to help them optimize their performance and success. Naftali is the author of Becoming the New Boss, a leadership book that helps new leaders hit the ground running and enjoy sustained success. So join us, listen in, and find out how leaders are both born and self-taught, why leadership means understanding culture and creating a value system that we all operate in, why managing change means you have to be an emotionally intelligent leader, how creating healthy relationships at work helps leaders be connected rather than lonely at the top, how important delegation is for the trial and error process, and how life, leadership, and learning are non-linear chapters. Ready? Here we go. Naftali, welcome to the All Personal Podcast. Roxana, such a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, so great to have you here. And as a start of our conversation, I wanted to ask you, how would you describe yourself in a, in a nutshell? Sure. I'll begin with a few descriptors and then maybe jump into a little bit about what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am hardworking and curious. Uh, I consider myself to be a lifelong learner and actually a lifelong or lifetime educator. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my background. I was a classroom teacher and a school principal. And now in my work, I work with executives, helping them on a variety of different levels with a particular focus on productivity and delegation and impact. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's all about using using the ability to connect with people, to listen, to be able to not only mirror back, but to create awareness around dilemmas and possible opportunities and solutions And so when I wanted to move out of, let's call it formal education and still contribute to the field and continually to be focused on the needs of my clients and the market as a whole Mm -hmm. has helped me grow tremendously in just a few years time. So that's, um, yeah, and thank you for, for this very focused description of yourself. Um, And I, I could hear a lot of, 
um, a lot of travel professionally. Um, and I wanted to ask you, because you, you were an, an educator and a school principal um, and now working with leaders, right? What was, what was the story there for you as, as an educator and then becoming a school principal? What, um, what, do you, what did you feel were, were the skills that you already had in you and the skills that you felt were missing um, when you took that leadership from, role? From, from principal work to coaching? From, no, from educator to principal. Oh, um, well, actually, that was a relatively quick transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had only been teaching formally for, I'd like to say, two years. So actually, my first, I would say, eight years of school administration, those were what we might call part-time roles, meaning to say that these were either um, part-time programs such as a uh, supplementary program um, for or Jewish students who were attending public school who wanted to get, or parents wanted them to get a Jewish education, but did not attend an independent school, which was focused on providing that. So they would come to our program on three different days of the week, one in the morning, twice after school. Mm-hmm. We would provide supplementary learning for them. And then the secondary position was more of a, um, what is often referred to as a general studies principalship. So that means that there were, the day is divided into two primary components, religious studies and then general studies such as math and language arts and science, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that was, my, that was my responsibility. So I also was running administrative programs for elementary school. So I was basically K through college, mm-hmm. um, either as a direct instructor or as a principal. So the, the sequence for me was actually pretty um, fluid. One kind of led into the other. There was an opportunity that I took advantage of and thankfully was able to grow into the position. And concurrent with that, I, I was also pursuing a, a master's. I had gone into the field with one master's degree almost completed. Uh, I finished that one. And so I was able to do my professional work and still find time to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And so within just a few years, I had two master's degrees. I did ultimately pursue a doctorate, but that was only after. But I was basically on my way out the door and transitioning into my current work of coaching, mm-hmm. uh, consulting, and training. Mm-hmm. So was uh, was the transition to consulting and training, um, what what happened there then after your years as a, as a school principal? Um, how did you go through that transition? What made you decide, okay, so now I'm going to go into coaching? And what made you decide it should be coaching specifically targeted at leaders? So I actually see the two as being very similar in many Mm -hmm. respects. Mm -hmm. I may not have even fully appreciated um, everything that coaching was when I first got started to leverage my leadership experience as well as my teaching experience and expertise and use that to help leaders in in all settings uh, to become more effective. You know, to Mm -hmm. me, Leadership is it's going to look different in a corporate space. In a Fortune 100 company, it's certainly going to look very different in a small business. It'll look different in a, for an entrepreneur, and it'll look different for a nonprofit leader. 
But mm-hmm. at its core, the idea of engaging with people, of building equity, of developing relationships, of demonstrating care, of managing and leading change in a way that's sustainable, of delegating properly, all the skills that I learned about delegation, uh, I learned in a school setting. And yet, the applications are equally relevant in almost any environment. And when I post the content, whether it's to Smart Brief, my own blog, or elsewhere, um, nobody knows that the learning uh, initially occurred um, in a school environment, and it doesn't matter because yeah. the the concepts, like I said, have universal application. I'll be honest with you, I think that, you know, certainly initially and even till today, the people that, you know, have resonated the most with me are people who share a certain, uh, let's call it a career background or career experience. You know, mm-hmm. certainly the educational leaders in particular um, feel a kinship. But, you know, my, my clients really span a wider, uh, span, yeah. you know, span a bit of a wide range. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, you know, when I'm dealing with somebody, for example, who works for a, a nonprofit and they, they help um, uh, their clients deal with significant and severe medical situations, looking for referrals and for advocacy. So I'm talking to one person who's client facing, who's got a lot of knowledge, but is weak in his communication skills lacks sufficient empathy, you know, and so we're working through how do you become more empathic? How do you, how do you demonstrate more care? And yet at the same time, maintain levels of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And then I've got another person who's in, you know, executive recruitment and he's trying to engage his, his sales team to grow their, uh, to, I'm sorry, not the, his recruiters uh, mm-hmm. in order to grow their, their placements and ultimately the company's bottom line. And we're working on goal setting and we're working on, you know, what are the, what are the challenges that they're encountering in terms of identifying proper candidates. And so, you know, each situation looks different, Mm -hmm. but it's using the proper questioning techniques and the relationships. And in most cases, the core fundamental concept of coaching is that the client at least knows multiple potential solutions. And my job is to help them identify what those are and then which one to choose and in what way that will ultimately move us to you know, move them to a better place. Mm-hmm. Help them clarify the path. That's okay. correct. Clarify and then, but, but also to take action. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've updated yeah. my, my LinkedIn profile recently, but before that, it, you know, I, I wrote uh, awareness generator. Um, and then uh, what was it? Um, I'm, I'm forgetting now. I have, I have it written mm-hmm. now, but basically, cre- you know, generate, creating awareness and then taking action exactly. around that awareness. Yeah. So that people, you know, because oftentimes the accountability is the hardest part for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And um, I wanted to ask you because, okay, you talked about a lot of skills right there that are, uh-huh. you know, directly related to, to leadership and uh, talking about leadership and about the, um, the general idea that, hey, some people are, are just born leaders and um, that's why they're so good at it. What I'm hearing is there's actually a lot of skills involved in, in leadership and they can definitely all be learned. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that there is somewhat of a balance. In other words, I do think that certain personalities do lend themselves more readily to leadership. Mm-hmm. However, if you read, for example, um, Jim Collins' Good to Great, and he talks yeah. about the level five leader, many of them do not fit the stereotypical perspective or um, avatar 
of mm-hmm. a leader. So they may be more introverted. They may be quieter. They may shun the limelight, but they have the ability to be really clear on what needs to get done, you know, clarify the strategy and the vision, mm-hmm. and then execute around that. And, and so the personality may not matter as much. I do think in today's day and age, and you see it all the time in social media, you see it elsewhere, the emphasis on care and concern. Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that everybody's doing it, but that, that people should be doing it. You know, we see how often millennials and those younger um, are transitioning from job to job, really looking for purpose, really looking for a place where they feel they can make a meaningful contribution and really looking for a place where they feel valued. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for leaders to recognize that to whatever degree, once upon a time, there was this idea that it was all about the productivity and getting things done and pushing the bottom line, that has changed. And we need to be able as leaders to recognize that and still find ways to, to perform, but recognize that the, the key to performance is not the heavy-handed top-down approach. It's more the integrative, collaborative approach where people feel like they have opportunity to grow. Right? That's why delegation, for example, is such a big deal. And I keep pushing it in my writing and my talks and whatever it is, because it not only allows leaders to do what they need to be doing and pull away the things that others should be doing, mm-hmm. but it creates motivation, it creates engagement, and it also creates a leadership pipeline, whether they're going to benefit from it directly or whether the benefit will be elsewhere, sort of like a pay it forward concept. Yeah. You know, I benefit from somebody else's, from somebody else taking on a person when they were younger and giving them a chance and helping them grow. And then I bring them on board in my company. So I should be doing the same thing for other people as well. Constantly thinking about how can I help my people become more equipped, more confident, more skilled so that they are ready to become leaders. You know, I will invest in my people because hopefully others are investing in theirs as well. And if my people ultimately move on to some other opportunity, hopefully I will have the benefit of somebody else's efforts that will lead to my company's growth and success over time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's full circle, isn't it? When you think about it this way. It certainly can and should be. And Mm -hmm. hopefully more people will embrace that as a you know, as a foundational belief and, and, and certainly something that drives them in, in how they view their leadership. And, and the book that I wrote, which I published a couple of years ago called Becoming the New Boss. So that book, even though, you know, it's designed for people who are transitioning into or within leadership. And I would say upwards of 80% of the book is soft skills related. Mm-hmm. There is some technical knowledge you need to know about how to do certain things. But in most cases, it's about understanding the culture, uh, creating a value system, um, you know, a lot of different things that you can do as a leader that will ultimately position you for long-term success. Because so often leaders are, are in and out because they're so focused on doing the work, you know, being more or less the same person that they were before, just doing it on a higher scale or a higher level. And that's totally not what they need to be thinking about as they move into leadership. Yeah, course. And um, talking about all of these skills that form um, the, the whole leadership concept, going back to your, your leadership role, what, what do you think were, were some of the skills that were easy for you to use in that role as a leader? Um, and how, how did that work for you? How did you know you had the right skills muscles for that position. Well, um, so each successive position that I took was larger and more complex. So that means that I was able to build my skills in a, in a lower risk environment 
as I moved my way further forward. Um, and of course, I experimented and I got feedback. Some things I did well, some things maybe not so well. So as leaders, we need to know that it, you know, people are, are mo- emotional beings. Mm-hmm. And if we ignore their emotions, um, they, those emotions may haunt us in the sense that they, um, pe- pe- like I said before, people will often get in our way of progress simply because they, they don't like the way we're operating rather than they don't like our ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's, that's so true. But it's, I think it's, I hear it often um, that some people have maybe a harder time um, you know, picking up those, those subtleties of how people feel when you talk to them about change. And I think this is the, uh, the, the distress that comes in, in this equation, in, specifically in terms of change, is this, this idea that the minute you start to communicate the, the need for change and all that this involves, how do you do that uh, so that people are also connected to your message emotionally? And I think this is maybe one of the, one of the pain points uh, that some of the new leaders have. How do you connect? How do you make that connection matter? How do you make it meaningful? Yeah, I would agree. I think that building relationships is very important to with, withstand or with, um, resist the idea of wanting to walk in and change things right away. Mm-hmm. If you have a mandate for change, it's a little bit different. And if you're in a, a um, you know, there, there are circumstances where, you know, turnaround situations where you really need to act quickly. Yeah. Uh, the, the company's in trouble. There are real problems that need to be rooted out immediately. But in most cases, leaders who take the time initially to build those relationships um, they can do much more effective work down the road. Mm-hmm. And another piece in terms of change management is, you know, there are tools you could use. So there's something called a case for change, for example, where you work with your team to identify, you know, what are the positives? Where are the, the, the shortfalls? Mm-hmm. What would be the outcome if we left everything alone? And, 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 and what would be the benefits if we made the changes? And so if you discuss it with the group, and you come to certain, I'm not saying you have to have consensus, but if you have certain agreement fund, foundationally and fundamentally as to what um, will drive things forward, then it's a lot easier to move it forward because people will agree. People have already told you what needs to happen. So all you're doing at that point is executing on the will of the group as opposed to just in, you know, enforcing and imposing your own agenda. It's all about getting them involved right off the bat i mean it's a lot as you said people are looking for meaning and purpose they're not looking for just a job anymore or maybe it's more visible uh nowadays than it used to be i don't know 20 30 years ago so having them involved this way is what also gives them that sense of of purpose and you know, meaning in, in their work and what it is that they do and not what they do, just that, but what they can contribute. Yes, mm-hmm. I, w- I would agree. <laughs> I wanted to, to 
ask you because we go around this this leadership role and the skills needed for for the leaders to to be effective to be good leaders how would you define the the role of a leader or the the whole leadership concept what does that mean to you yeah i actually spend a lot of time in the book discussing really the contrast between um leadership and management and so leadership is more about being visionary and strategic mm-hmm. it's more about understanding that um you're there to create a vision help people work towards that vision as when it comes to management it's more about getting things done having the right plan in place and then executing on it maybe making sure that people are doing the right kind of work and and you need both it's not like one is superior per se than the other mm-hmm. if you had to choose between the two i would definitely focus on leadership more than management mm-hmm. so so you want to start with the leadership minimally be able to bring people around it be able to communicate it effectively and then step 2 is of course to execute which is more the managerial component mm-hmm. and if a leader knows which hat he or she is wearing at a given time that also can be helpful um because it helps them to think about the language that they use it helps them to think about the processes that they're focusing on but um it should not be one like i said or the other um knowing that there is a fundamental difference and that each one has an important piece is uh, is something that i think leaders should be mindful of mhm and it's um and i like i like the um the balance that we that we need to have and especially when we talk about leadership and management yes you're right i've seen a lot of um a lot of comparisons where you know management is not that great leadership is what we need to uh what we need to have and what we need to focus on and yeah i think we do need both and they're both they're both important and they they definitely involve different different styles different communication styles different working styles so they don't exclude each other they work together hand in hand yes talking about these uh these skills muscles that are needed in all of these roles there's a lot of skills that a leader is supposed to have and some of them yes they are they're there from the beginning or they're more natural Yeah. um to use but some of them maybe they're they're not there i like to call them the the dormant skills muscles uh-huh. the, those skills muscles that we haven't used for a long time because it's painful for us to use sure. so in your own leadership journey how did you work them out how did you wake up those dormant skills muscles and what were they Right. So I I think I I to be to be honest Roxanne I think you're being very generous in terms of people. <laughs> For me it, it it was a couple of things. Understanding what was working what wasn't, having a relationship with people who would be open and honest to tell me what I was doing well and and how I needed to improve where appropriate. Being a mentor and I talk about this in the book as well is a very important thing. Somebody who can speak from experience is a critical component. And then do identify maybe you're using a 360 assessment or just your own sense of where you're stronger or where you're weaker you know i definitely believe number one you want to accentuate your strengths it's not all about you know filling in your weaknesses 
but to the degree that you have weaknesses that must be worked on because, for example, you're just not communicating properly, then you want to identify the person um, that could help you. You know, oftentimes leaders operate in isolation, feel like they have no one they can talk to because um, if they work for, you know, if they have a board of directors, they, they don't necessarily feel comfortable becoming vulnerable to them. They may not be comfortable talking to their direct reports. So they could talk to their spouses if they have. They could talk to their friends. But in many cases, people just don't want to feel and look vulnerable to anyone. Mm-hmm. But I've been in you know, master's programs or, or other learning programs, um, and I still have many of those relationships. And certainly when I meet up with those people, it's, um, it feels very comfortable and very natural. You know, it's like we never left. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I was thinking, because you mentioned feedback, you mentioned mentoring, and you mentioned um, vulnerability. I think it's, it's a very, it is rather vulnerable, uh, a vulnerable place to be asking for feedback because that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be positive feedback. It can also be some negative or something that you need to to work on and improve. So that's a very vulnerable place to be in. And I find that it, it can be very scary for people, especially in leadership positions. Right. I would agree. I think it also has to do with how you approach the concept of feedback. Mm-hmm. Do, you see it, do you see it as a, let's call it an assessment? Or do you view feedback as an opportunity, primarily as an opportunity to grow? And if you recognize, you come in understanding that nobody's perfect and that everybody who's become great um, has at one point, you know, made mistakes and continues to make mistakes, and you're open to that as part of who you are, um, then I think that uh, the feedback becomes easier to absorb and easier to accept. It's Mm -hmm. never easy, but it's easier. Yeah. now, especially if you're a perfectionist, you want to do everything right. The feedback can be hard to swallow. But again, the more you are open to, um, the more you're open to feedback and you recognize that it is truly the breakfast of champions, mm-hmm. um, then, it, then it can really be transformative for you. I could never, for example, have written my book without feedback. I could never be doing the work that I'm doing today without feedback. Um, not only that I receive, but of course that I'm able to give to others. So people, you know, if, if nobody was interested in hearing what I had to say, how could I possibly have ever, you know, moved into this role or, or mm-hmm. even a previous role? So we have to recognize that feedback is natural. Um, it's something that is there for our benefit. And the more we embrace it in that, in that spirit, um, the likelier it is that we will gain from it. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think the, um, the, the idea of feedback sometimes is uh, taken for criticism and it's not, uh, it's not criticism. It's, it's just somebody caring enough about your own development journey to, to give you their perspective of how they see your performance from where they stand. And it can, again, it can be the, the good stuff and the uh, need improvement stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be both. It doesn't have to be just plain criticism and then take it or leave it. Correct. But talking about the, uh, this concept where leaders operate in isolation, which 
doesn't have to be like that. It's the, it's how they feel that they're isolated. Yeah. What would be some, some skills that they can use to get themselves out of this isolation? Sure. Yeah. So I would, I would circle back to some things we've already discussed. I think mm-hmm. the idea of being in a professional cohort, um, you know, there are, there are networks, you know, learning networks, social networks, specifically for leaders, um, you know, going to networking events, although those typically are more mm-hmm. superficial in nature, but at least gives you opportunity to connect. Many people find community online. You know, they're very active since this, I'm sure that most of your listeners are professionals. I would say LinkedIn is probably the best place for that, but there yeah. are others as well. And uh, so attending conferences, more so than networking events, I think conferences, you know, you're there often for a full day, multiple days, you have a chance to go deeper with people. Mm-hmm. I think all of those pieces are critical. Having a mentor or a coach or both, there is a difference between the two. Um, mentorship yeah. is more about, about somebody who's done what you've done and is sharing their wisdom, whereas coaching is more about somebody who is helping you to unpack and explore challenges and opportunities. And then, like we said before, take action. Yeah. Those are also ways that you could feel a bit less isolated. And I would add, and I think maybe even the most foundational and important perhaps of all of these is to create healthy relationships with your team and with people at work. So you can't and should not be chummy. Um, This is particularly challenging, by the way, for people who have risen from within, who once upon a time were on the same level of some of their coworkers, and now they're asked to lead a team or perhaps even move into the the C-suite. Um, so they, they have a bit of a harder time sort of drawing the line between, you know, uh, let's call it professionalism and personal, Mm -hmm. but I do think that there's a space both in terms of not only daily interaction, but also, um, involving people in the planning, involving people in the discussions, helping them to work through things, but at the same time, getting feedback about what you're doing, you know, it's still, it may not feel the, it may not have the same feeling of it as like a personal peer group, um, but it's going to be, it's, it's certainly going to be liberating yeah. to feel that you can make yourself on some level vulnerable to others um, mm-hmm. and open to their ideas. And I think that leaders sometimes resist that because they feel that they need to go into what they're doing, really demonstrating complete, you know, complete control, complete yeah. knowledge, complete awareness and expertise. And that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an understandable mistake, but it's a mistake. You know, you're not hired necessarily to walk in and just show everybody everything and be everybody's teacher, let's say. Mm-hmm. You are there to help, you know, bring out the best in everyone, to lead, to row the ship um, in the right di- general direction, and to get everybody rowing together. Yeah. That's really what leadership is all about. And the more leaders, leaders understand that they're not there do the work in most cases. And number two, they're not there to just um, teach everyone, although they can be, you know, experts in their, in their craft, but they don't necessarily have to be, but they know how to get those others to do it. They know how to bring people together. Mm-hmm. They know how to get clear on goals, these kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. They know how to spot talent and where to best use it for, for the highest performance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I like this, uh, this sort of definition for vulnerability 
uh, in that you don't have to be a know-it-all. I mean, nobody has to be a know-it-all these days. It's this, this other thing that's called connection, that's called understanding where people come from and maybe where their strengths are and how these strengths work so well together. And I think that starts with understanding, again, going back to yourself and understanding what your own um, strong skills muscles are and where your muscles aren't that strong and how the others can come in and maybe bring in their own, their own muscles and you can work so well together. It, yeah, I would I, agree. But that starts with that kind of self-awareness. This is why I like to say that it's, it's all personal because it all starts there. Right. And, and the other thing is, you know, part of the culture, I just wrote about this and actually delivered a webinar for LeaderCast on the same topic. Um, culture is very important in a workplace and there's a lot that can be discussed relating to culture, but specifically as it relates to leadership and even more specifically to delegation, I think that, you know, it's important for leaders to give permission to their people to, um, you know, to ask for things and to, and, to, and to flag when the leader isn't doing what he or she needs to be doing from a, um, from a delegation standpoint, for example. Yeah. So if you say that our values include proper delegation, our values include customer service, whatever those values are, then you also, not only, it's not just a sign on a wall, it's, mm-hmm. not, just a, it's not just a platitude, and to the point, where if in fact we don't go there, in other words, if in fact we, you see something that's not consistent with what I'm saying, then, then you need to call me out on it. So you're basically, you're giving your people permission. You're giving them permission to tell you when they see you out of alignment. Yeah. And I they know that they're not going to be, they're not going to be punished for that. Exactly. Creating that, that space, right? Where you can, you can have this kind of open communication and it's part of the feedback going back to the feedback concept, right? Tell me. Yeah. It's part of the feedback. Absolutely. Having, having, creating the space where you can have this kind of conversations Uh and it actually, um, and I wanted to, to also ask you about that because it comes together with another, a big, big chunk of the leadership journey, which is how do we deal with failure and what, is, what does that mean? Because we hear a lot of, okay, let's look at failure as a learning experience and what we can take from there. And I think it all has to do with trial and error and looking for uh, if you want to be innovative, you can't be innovative without trial and error. But how do you create the space for that to happen? It depends on, on, on I guess, the, the, the nature of what we're talking about. But, but one of the things, for example, that I discuss with delegation is that when you're trying to bring somebody on board to become the person that you want to be able to delegate to mm-hmm. on a regular basis, one of the things you want to do is give them you, you want to give them projects that don't have to be completed in a specific type of way. 
And you also want to give them the opportunity to make mistakes with enough lead time that whatever corrections need to be made can be implemented without pressure. That's your ideal. Because this way, you don't feel a pressure to fix it immediately. They could work through some of the challenges themselves. And even when you need to take the project back or redirect it or whatever it might be, you're not doing so where you're feeling this intense pressure, that type of thing. Yeah. So that, that's, from a, that's from a planning side of it. Obviously, every project, whether it's a delegation project or others, should include a feedback loop, should include a conversation, what went well and what didn't. How do we improve upon it moving forward? You know, these kinds of questions and conversations. And I think, um, I think that as you um, start to engage in more and more projects, then obviously you're going to have different levels of success and different levels of failure. The main thing is make it as impersonal as you can. So it's less about you, the person who, who, who erred, mm -hmm. and the, rather about the process that needed to be tweaked, needed to be revisited, needed to be adjusted. And I think the more people feel that you still value them as people yeah. and value them as team members and recognize that mistakes are inevitable, you know, to, to, towards growth and things like that, they're going to be more willing to take on new projects because they know that they're not going to be taken to the cleaners by you yeah. in, in order to, uh, just because you, there was something about what they did that, um, you know, that, that was, that was in, re in retrospect was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, you know, listening to you uh, talk about it because this comes up a lot when you, when you talk to people and um, whether they're in a leadership position or not, they, it, it's this kind of perspective that, hey, it's so hard to have this, these tough conversations maybe. Uh -huh. um, and they're really um, afraid of, you know, hurting the other's feelings. And it's so important what you just said right now. It's okay, let's look at the process and what needed to be done and where we didn't follow the process and need to correct that. Yeah. Rather than looking at, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because that's a dangerous place to be in, right? Because it stops you from then taking action and talking it about it. Yeah. And, and then people are not going to want to take on projects in the future, not only them, but word will get around. You know, if, 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 you, if you didn't treat somebody well in, you know, after they've quote unquote put themselves out, whether they chose to or you asked them to, and, but at the end of the day, they did something that um, that was helping you and, and you didn't take care of them in that process, people are going to hear about it. Mm -hmm. They're certainly going to be very cautious about taking on projects for you moving forward. So you, you do want to be careful. I was wondering, because you also, you know, given your education background, do you think that comes from how we learn to do things uh, when, when we're in school or how we are asked about our own opinions or how we receive and give feedback when we're as kids and then translate that into the workplace as adults? Are you asking from the leader side of it? Not necessarily. I think uh -huh. yes, from the leader side as well, but also from the, the team side. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, that education and the way that we are treated as 
young adults can certainly influence significantly the way we we treat others as we become professionals. Um, you know, we have to be able to recognize that in many cases the work environment is very different from from the school environment. Different skills are needed. Uh, different talents, you know, have opportunity to shine, so to speak. You know, oftentimes people who do not succeed in school really, as they say, kill it, you know, in a professional way because they have other qualities that may not have translated well to the classroom. So my my point is that I think that, um, yes, whatever is modeled for us can easily become part of how we operate as adults. We do want to be thinking about, you know, what are some of the influences in my life? You know, I think about that all the time. And sometimes people point it out to me, you know, especially people who know me very well, usually relatives and family members, you know, that's so your side of the family or that's so, you know, your community or, you know, it's like they're, they're identifying trends or behaviors that they think I may have picked up in the, in the nurture side of things, perhaps rather than the nature side. But minimally, if we think about it and we keep it top of mind, it's oftentimes going to help us continue to reflect and grow. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, it's, and it's, again, we go back to knowing where you stand now and deciding to take some action steps and develop where you develop yourself into the person that you need to develop. I think it's, um, it's not, uh, you know, this volatile concept. It's very action-based it is. And again, coming back to everything we've been discussing with feedback and whatnot, mm-hmm. the more a person is open to realizing that they are a work in progress and that life is a journey. I know these sound very cliche, but people who really recognize it, understand it, and accept it and embrace it, um, they're the ones who continue to grow. And, mm-hmm. and so often, you know, there's, there's a lot of research that talks about how you know, startups in particular, there's much more funding, for example, from venture capital firms and other related firms into startups that have leaders that are more seasoned, been around the block. They're not necessarily the most tech savvy, but they have a lot of the people and, and, and visionary skills. The investors recognize that the likelihood of success is much greater when you have somebody at the top who knows how to lead, is open to change. And I think that those are things we have to be willing to continue to develop and be open to so that we can be successful. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And be aware that it takes time to develop them. They don't, you know, grow overnight. Without question. Mm -hmm. Without question. Okay. So because we are uh, very close to to the end of our conversation, I wanted to ask you um, for one thought of wisdom uh, for for the end of our conversation. So it can be anything, a quote or your thoughts, a book, a video, a movie, anything that yeah. you would like to, to share with our audience today. Yeah, there's so, there's so much that I would love to be able to pass along. But but very simply, I would, I would circle back to something I mentioned before uh, relating to education and specifically the idea of lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. I think that if we continue to embrace the idea that school was just the beginning, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic because when I was running that program for these public school students who wanted to, you know, augment their Jewish education, mm-hmm. the irony for some is that the 
the bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah, the you know the coming to to of age within within the Jewish community for some people is oftentimes really the end of their learning. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that's just the beginning. You know, that's where you take all the learning and you have obligation now, at least within the 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 the, the framework of my faith and whatnot, um, to actualize those commandments, actualize that that identity in in mm-hmm. service and in practice. And I think that we have to remember that say, well, I went to school and I have my MBA or I have this degree. I have now a doctorate myself. So now my learning is done. For sure, I've reached the top of the, uh, uh, you know, of the mountain. That's not at all the case. Mm-hmm. I'm learning a ton. I probably learned more since I moved into this realm of my life than in any other phase in the sense that you know, I've needed to really start from scratch on many levels in order to become what, I've, what I am today. So keep learning, keep growing, keep an open mind, recognizing that change is the new normal. And if you don't uh, maintain an openness to that, you will ultimately, unfortunately, start to lag behind. Yeah, that that sounds wonderful. And it, I was thinking as you were talking that, you know, life, life is a journey, as you said, and I think it's, it, it, it's also several journeys, right? With every, it, it's in chapters. It's a journey in, in different chapters, in several chapters. Right? Not always linear chapters. So exactly. They, they may yes. not go in a direct <laughs> progressive fashion. You're kind of wondering, how did I get to where I am? Yeah. It's not what I signed up for, um, but, but always keeping your eye forward. Exactly. Thank you so much, Naftali. It was a wonderful conversation. It was great to have you here today. Roxana, it was a real pleasure, and uh, thank you for inviting me. And what a great way to end this episode with this image of our lives being journeys written in nonlinear chapters. It made me think about the chapters of my own life, what has been written so far and what's to come. And with change being the new normal, I'll leave you with a question. What are you writing for the next chapter of your life? Until next time.